Hey, this morning, if you have your Bible or if you have the Bible app on your phone, I encourage you to go to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be today. Like I uh, mentioned earlier in the service, this is the last story that we have not covered. So you might be saying, man, we're going to go over the entire chapter of Luke chapter 24. Or maybe you're looking on your bulletin and you're saying, man, there's only 12 verses listed here. Isn't there like 50 some verses in this chapter? Well, because it's taken us so long to get through this, we've actually went over two Easter services. And so we bounced around a little bit and we've taken a look at the second story and the third story in this chapter today we're looking at the last story, the first story in this chapter that we have not gone over yet. So Luke chapter 24, if you have your bulletin or uh, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, I encourage you to follow along there or your own Bible. Luke chapter 24, we're going to be at the beginning of the chapter. If you are on the Bible app, like I said earlier, you can always hit that more tab than events and then you can find all the information you normally find in your bulletin right there in the Bible app. Luke chapter 24. This is after Jesus' death. This is the first account that we get. Luke chapter 24. This is what it says. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who uh, uh, were with them who told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stopping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened. We're going to talk about what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, let's just go before God in prayer and ask Him for His help with that. Pray with me, if you will. Father, for Your Word, we thank You that it's perfect and that we can rely on it, and that we can call it authoritative, that what it says goes for our lives. And we thank You for that, and we just want to align our lives with Your Word today. Help us to do that. If there's anything You're calling us to do, Father, help us to do that. Give us the wisdom. Give us the courage. Give us the understanding to know how we are to obey You and glorify You the best way that we possibly can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've got a question for you. I want you to think about your life right now. Think about the season of life. And now think about... One decade, two decades, if you're old enough, three decades, four decades back. And think about when you were younger, think about how you thought your life would look like when you are the age you are now. So in other words, if you are 60 years old, think about when you were 20 or 30, and think about the thoughts that you had when you were 60. Think about the aspirations you had when you were that age. If you are 25 in the room today, think about when you were 12. Think about when you were 15, 18, and think about the thoughts that you had that you thought that you would say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be doing this when I'm 25. I'm going to be doing this when I'm 35. I'm going to be doing this when I'm 65. Now, here's the question. Does your life line up with the aspirations that you had? Does your life line up with the expectations that you had for yourself? 
I think if we're honest, many of us would say life looks a little different than what we thought it would look like when we were younger. Life looks a little bit differently. Maybe my relationships look a little bit different. Maybe you thought you would be at a position at your work that you'd have a certain job, that you'd have a certain level of income. Maybe you thought you would, look, uh, you would have a certain marriage that looked like this. Maybe you thought you would have a relationship with your kids that looked like this. Maybe you thought you would have a certain house of your own. Maybe you thought you'd be retired and you're not. What does it look like? What does your life look like compared to what you thought it would look like? These are unmet expectations if your life does not look like you thought it would look like. And for many of us, if not all of us, if we're honest, life looks a little bit differently than we thought it would look like. And here's the crazy thing about unmet expectations in our lives. is that psychology will tell us that if you have unmet expectations in your life, your brain will process that the exact same way as if you actually lost something that really came into fruition. So if you have a season of your life that you're saying, man, life does not look like I thought it would look like, your brain has to process that the same way that it would, it would process the death of a loved one in your family that you were not expecting. It's the grieving loss that your brain literally has to grieve a loss of an unmet expectation. Now, you might be asking yourself, okay, thanks for the psychology lesson here, Pastor Josh. You're no psychologist. What does this have to do with the Word of God? I want you to think about these women who showed up to Jesus' tomb. Now, think about this just for a moment. These women would have followed around Jesus for at least a year, maybe two for some of them. They're following around Jesus, and they have certain expectations of what Jesus is going to do. Right? I mean, they're following him around, and they know for at least a year Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem, and this is going to be the pinnacle of his ministry here on earth. And most people have these expectations that Jesus, he's going to get into Jerusalem and he's going to do certain things. He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to get Israel's independence. He's going to be the king, the ruler, supreme over earth, and that Jesus is just going to rule the day. And when he comes in on Sunday, this is Palm Sunday that we celebrate, he comes in and those expectations are starting to come into fruition. And they're saying, hey, this is the start of it. This is Palm Sunday. Everybody's worshiping him. They're saying, Jesus, man, he's like the bee's knee. They're throwing palm trees around. They're saying, this is great. Jesus is going to rule. That was on Sunday. Five days later, Jesus is betrayed. And the next day, he's hanging on a cross. In fact, it even happens quicker than that. The first few days that Jesus is in Jerusalem, He's teaching everybody, and everybody's still on his side. We get that because of Luke's account here. It tells us that the religious leaders are still afraid of the people. The people love Jesus. They're coming around him. They're listening to him. And the religious leaders are afraid of the crowds. And so for these women, again, the expectation is Jesus is taking over. This is going to be great. We're in for a new season. This is going to be amazing. And then Thursday hits. Thursday night. Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and that next afternoon, he's hanging on a cross. I want you to put yourself in these women's shoes, or sandals, so to speak, right? They are devastated. Their world has just now come to an end. They think that this guy that they've been following around for a number of months or even years at this point is going to rule, that he's going to take over, and now he's dying 
with criminals? What's going on here? These women have some unmet expectations. If you feel like the season of life that you're in today does not meet up to your aspirations when you were younger, you're in good company. These women, they are in a season that they're saying, this is, this is devastating to me. This is completely devastating. This, I thought something was going to happen, and it didn't. And so what do they do? And what do these angels tell them? And how do they react because of it? This gives us a key of how we can deal with our unmet expectations and the loss in our own lives. Let's take a look at it. It actually starts in the last couple of verses of the previous chapter. This is after Jesus' death. This is after he is buried into the tomb. Verse 55, it says, The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. Now this is common. They didn't have funeral homes and uh, people who could prepare the body and everything like this. This is common. This is what you should do to, for a loved one. They're providing ointments, spices to treat the body. It says on the Sabbath, they rested. That Saturday, uh, that is the typical Jewish Sabbath. They rested according to the commandment. And then look what happens. On the first day of week, so this is Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. So what do these women do? They are doing what they can to glorify God in their loss. They're saying, this is awful. This is, this is devastating. My, life, my, man, I, the, my world has just come to an end. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I need to honor God in this moment and I'm going to grieve this loss. In the midst of loss, in the midst of our unmet expectations, in the midst of seasons not looking like we thought they would, where your kids don't have the relationship with each other or with you that they thought they would, or your relationship with your spouse looks differently than you thought, or maybe you're dealing with a sin that you thought would be long gone by now. In the midst of this, here's what I want you to do. It's going to sound a little weird at first, but hear me out on it. The first thing that we need to do is to simply Grieve. It's what these women do, and it's what we need to do in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our unmet expectations. Now, you might be saying, okay, um, you want us to grieve? Isn't that kind of unchristian? Shouldn't we be like joyful and happy all the time and just put on a smiley face and, you know, everything's okay because uh, Jesus died for me and everything is perfect and rainbows and butterflies and uh, I, just, I just need to put on a smile? The fact and the reality is that God gave you emotions, and if you shove those emotions down, they will come out eventually. God created you to cry when there is loss. God created you to grieve. If you don't believe me, Jesus himself, who is God, came in a bodily form here on earth as a human, cried. John eleven thirty five 35 tells us, Jesus wept. Here's the interesting context around this, is that this is where Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. Now, if we know the story, you, I mean, we've been in church for a while, most of us have, and you know the story. Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead. He's about to do that in the next couple of verses here. And yet, in the midst of it, he still cries. Even though he knows he's going to bring Lazarus back from the dead, Jesus still cries. Why? Because grieving is important. And grieving with others who are mourning, is important. It's an important way to let that out. And God made you to cry. Guys, hey, I'm talking to you right now. It's okay to cry. 
Jesus is the most manly guy who ever walked the face of the planet. He cried. If he can cry, you can cry too. That's a good thing. And God comforts us in our grieving. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, this is Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount tells us, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The book of Psalms says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Later on in Psalms it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God is near to you if you are mourning in this season of life. And He can use it for your good too. Take a look at what 2 Corinthians says. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and our God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Look at this. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God gives you His comfort, and He doesn't just give it for you, but so that you can go and grieve and mourn and comfort those who are mourning as well. Now here's the deal. We can grieve and we can grieve well, but the problem is we have to also keep that in context. We don't grieve like the rest of the world does. First Thessalonians tells us this. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. We don't grieve like the rest of the world. As Christians, we believe that there is a hope and a life to come. And so we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We grieve with the realization of what is to come. What's written in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. But we mourn and we grieve in the light of hope, in the light of what's written in the book of Revelation. However, it's still important to grieve. It's still important to mourn. These women do that in the midst of this. And they show up to this tomb, and there's no body. And in their grief and in their mourning, they're looking at this and saying, what's going on here? In fact, in verse 4 of our story here, it says that they were perplexed about this. I could imagine them asking each other, uh, I'm not seeing things, right? Like, you're seeing what I'm seeing. There's no body here, right? There's just a pile of clothes. What is going on here? And then look at what happens. It says, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These are angels. And as they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. You see, in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their mourning, God sends his angels to remind them of what Jesus had already told them. They had forgotten. In their grief, in their mourning, in their expectations of what they thought were going, was going to happen here, of what they thought Jesus was going to accomplish, they forgot what Jesus actually said. And many times in our lives we do that too. But we forget what God's Word actually says. We get all these expectations in our head. We get all these things that we want to accomplish about what we want our life to look like. And sometimes it can cause us to gear off the road here and to not do what God wants us to do. And what God is saying here is He's saying, hey, listen, listen, 
Jesus already told you what was going to happen. Remember? Remember his promise? That, yeah, he died, but then three days later, he would rise again. In the midst of your unmet expectations, in the midst of your loss, and in the midst of your grief, not only is it important to grieve well with the hope that God has given to us, but also we have to hold on to God's promises. And that's a way, if we're honest, to grieve well, right? That we hold on to the promises that God gives to us. Psalm 119 puts it like this. I think it just puts it perfectly. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Now, when we grieve, we can hold on to God's promises. You might be saying, okay, what is that? God's promise that he sent his one and only son to give us forgiveness, to offer this to us. And we have a promise, 1 John 1, 9 tells us, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not just some, not just the socially acceptable unrighteousness and sin, but all of it. That sin that you have a hard time wrestling with, that you can't get rid of. God says, you come to me with that. I'll forgive you for that. Deuteronomy reminds us of God's faithfulness. Now, therefore, know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. We can rely on God's goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, and his grace in our life, realizing that he's got our good and his glory in mind, as Romans 8.28 reminds us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his promises. We can hold on to his promises here. We can hold on to what God has called us to do. We can hold on to his faithfulness, to his goodness, to his mercy, to his grace. And we can remember what he's done for us, that he has sent his one and only son in the midst of our sin, that we don't have to clean up ourselves to go to him. We can just simply accept him. It's a free gift that he's offering to each and every one of us. And I don't know about you, but when you're dealing with a season of life that maybe doesn't look like you thought it would look like, when you're dealing with some loss in your life, I don't know anything more comforting than just holding on to God's promises and remembering, hey, here's what's important, what God has done for me, and now I'm going to go and do His will. That leads me to the last thing that I want to point out in this message here. Take a look in verse 8 with me. It says, as they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who had told these things to the apostles. But these things, uh, these words uh, seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So after these women are grieving, after they've been reminded of God's promises here, what do they do? Well, I think if I were tempted, or I think what I would do if I were one of these women, I think I would be tempted to just be like, hey, listen, it's all good. Um, We can just keep on living our own life. Like, we can just keep on doing whatever we wanted. Uh, This is is good. Um, And, uh, you know, life is is good. The angels told us Jesus has risen. Uh, Everything's okay. But they don't do that, right? They go off and they tell the other disciples about this. 
They go off and say, hey, listen, this is, this is what has happened. Jesus has risen from the grave. That means my world hasn't come to an end. That means what I thought was going to happen in this season of life, actually something better has happened. The natural outcome about hearing about what Jesus has done for us, about hearing the gospel, is to go off and to go tell other people about it. That's the natural outcome of God working in your life. It's to go off and to tell other people what God is doing in your life. And so what these women do is they not only grieve, they not only hold on to God's promises, but they go off and they do God's will. Sometimes, as Christians, we can be paralyzed by fear and grief. Sometimes as Christians, we can get caught up in this, well, you know, um, this happened in my life, and it's just really bad, and so, um, I, you know, God can't use me, and so I'm just, I'm just going to do my own life here, and I'm just going to show up to church and go to work and, you know, get my kids to school, and that's, that's good enough. That's, 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 all, that's all that I can do. And what God is calling us to do is something so much greater, to build up His kingdom. I want to remind you of, uh, and again, I know I already told you uh, my favorite passage in the Gospel of Luke as we went through this, but this unfaithful manager, the parable of this, the whole point was God was saying, hey, get up and do something. Get up and build my kingdom. Get up and glorify me. Don't be an idle Christian who just shows up to church and goes back to their house unaffected. Get up and glorify me and do my will. These women give us this uh, picture of what it looks like to truly experience the risen king. That they get up and they go and do God's will. And if you're looking at this and saying, man, that sounds great, but I just, I, I feel kind of lost. Like that's really vague. I don't know what that looks like. I don't have a direction. Take a look at Romans chapter 12. It'll give you that direction. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, look at this, what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what do you do? You just give your whole life to God. And that's worship. Worship isn't just what happens here on Sunday morning. It's, it's not just singing together and listening to worship songs. Worship is you getting up in the morning and glorifying God with everything that you have in the, whatever situation you find yourself in. And then you give yourself over to God and you ask Him, hey, I need you to transform my mind. I need you to change me from the inside out to look less like me and more like you, Jesus. And I'm handing over my life. And then this is how we discern what the will of God is. What is good? What is acceptable? What is perfect? And you might be saying, yeah, but you don't get my situation. There's some people, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how I'm going to do this. 2 Peter 2.15 tells us this. What, or, I'm sorry, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And say that you should put the uh, silence to the, the ignorance of foolish people by yelling, by screaming, by winning arguments on Facebook. No, but by, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. As Christians, we experience Jesus and it compels us to go off and to do his will. I want to remind you of a verse that uh, Grace read for us earlier, James chapter 1 
verse 22, but be doers of the word. We talk about this all the time. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving ourselves. Listen, guys, we have got to be Christians who don't just show up to church, who don't just hear God's word and leave unaffected, but truly do God's will in our lives. That we seek Him, we wake up in the morning and we seek Him and we say, God, what do you have for me today? I need you to transform me from the inside out. 1 John 2.17 tells us this. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever, look at this, does the will of God abides forever. Let me ask you a question. What's God calling you to do? We've been through this, this whole gospel now. We've went through each and every word of this entire book of the Bible. This account of what Jesus has, of the ministry of Jesus here on earth, and what he's taught us, how he lived, how he died for us, and how the, whole, the grave couldn't hold him. He rose again on the third day. What's God called you to do? Maybe he called you to do something a year and a half ago when we started this and you haven't been faithful. Maybe you tried being faithful for a little while and you tried doing what God called you to do and you kind of gave up on it. What has God called you to do? Get up and do it. Be faithful. And if you feel like, man, you know what? This isn't what I thought it would be. This, this season of life right now it's not. I'm, I'm in a season of loss. I'm in a season of grief. It's okay to grieve. Hold on to God's promises that you do. And don't be paralyzed by it. Get up. Go do God's will. Go do what He called you to do. And this morning, if you're looking at this and you're saying, man, that sounds great, but uh, man, I don't know what it really looks like to do that. Let me ask you a question. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted the good gift that God is offering to each and every one of us? If you haven't, today's your day. I couldn't think of a more fitting thing to do than to offer you that opportunity after going through the entire gospel account of what Jesus has done for us. If you haven't accepted Christ, today's your day. I'll give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. And then after, if you do that today, please come talk to me. We want to help you to grow in your faith. Again, this isn't just something we leave here at church. It's something that affects our entire lives. Maybe you're saying today, man, I've done that. I've accepted Christ, but I haven't been faithful to what he called me to do. There are some things, there's some sin in my life that I felt convicted of and I have not taken care of. And I need God's help with that. Today's your day to do that. Maybe today you're looking at it and you're saying, man, there are some relationships that need some repair. I need some forgiveness from others and I need to extend some forgiveness to others. And I need to go have some hard conversations. Today's your day to get up, to do God's will, to hold on to his promises, to grieve that loss of what you thought it might look like, to hold on to his promises and go and do God's will. And Here's the crazy thing. It's just like what these women experienced. They thought something was going to happen. It didn't, and so they grieve it. They are reminded of God's promises, and then they're reminded, oh, this is what God did instead. I had this in my mind. God had an even better plan. 
Let me tell you, if you are feeling like, man, I'm facing loss sake. My life doesn't look like I thought it would look like. Maybe God's got something better than what you ever could have imagined. Because for these women, that's how it was. Maybe God's got something amazing planned for your life. And you can go up and you can build up God's kingdom and you can do His will. That's, that's the gospel right there. That Jesus died for us as sinners. He's died for us and that He's risen again. He's offered us salvation. And then He gives us an opportunity to be used by Him to give us a purposeful life to build up His kingdom. What's God called you to do? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for sending your one and only son to die on a cross on our behalf. That we might have a relationship with you again. Thank you for forgiving us for our sins. Father, if there's anyone here who has never done that, who has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus, I pray that today would be their day. That they would do that. That they would say, I need your forgiveness in my life. I need you to transform me into a new person, Jesus. Less like me and more like you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I pray for everyone who's doing that right now. And Father, if there's people here who maybe life doesn't look like they, what they thought it would look like. Maybe they're dealing with these unmet expectations. Father, I pray that you would comfort them, that they would grieve the loss, that they would hold on to your promises, and that they wouldn't be paralyzed by grief, but they, that they can get up and go and do your will, just as these women that we just read about did. Your followers, Jesus, they give us this example that we can follow. Help us to follow it well. Help us to do your will and to build up your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.